0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're talking about the Kingdom of God again. And we're going to be continuing our discussion of delusions Uh, We were talking this morning about narcissistic personality disorders, which is one form of delusion. But all delusions have the same root cause. And that cause is really pride. It's selfishness, putting ourselves first, because it is required in the laws of right reason, the laws of nature, the laws of the divine will, all the same thing as we discussed this morning, that you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. If you care about yourself more, if you put yourself first above others, you will go under a strong delusion because you're doing contrary to the nature of God, the nature of creation, the nature of that which bears fruit. A tree bears fruit not for itself, but for the next generation. And that's written into the laws of nature everywhere we see life. Now, I suppose we could find places where we don't see that, but we also do not find life. So, if Third John uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He's telling you something about a key to the kingdom. And so, we were talking about narcissism, not because narcissism is necessarily the big problem, but it's evidence of what we see as almost all delusionary problems today. And there's lots of delusionary disorders that are linked to persistent depression, bipolarism, PTSD, schizophrenia. I mean, the list is endless. And all these personality disorders have the same root cause. And we talked about uh, narcissistic uh, personality disorder this morning. those that fit their criteria of this, uh, you know, diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, uh, they get prescribed or uh, diagnosed as narcissistic with this particular disorder. But you can have lots of these symptoms and have other uh, dysthymia uh, positions of uh, persistent depression or... Are other delusions, and we talked about some of those uh, this morning. That uh, would be delusions that uh, are getting to be more and more common. Uh, capgras, uh, even Kardard, and Kardard is just simply, you know, the the Walking Dead uh, syndrome, where you think you're dead, or part of you is dead, and you disassociate part of you. You think your arm is dead. And it's not dead, it's fine, it works fine, but you want it surgically removed now people actually and and people actually sometimes get it surgically removed because they and they think things will get better, and they actually they do sometimes temporarily, but in the long run it doesn't and we see the same same pattern in those that want to remove organs of their body because they're uncomfortable uncomfortable with their maleness or with their female nature and so they they think, oh, I, I'm i really a boy or I'm really a girl and I'm not what I am biologically and so I want it surgically or chemically removed and they think things will get better. And according to the suicide rates, they don't get better. As a matter of fact, they can actually seem to get worse because now you have nothing to look forward to. You've tried that and you still have a problem. Well, those are extreme cases and most people don't have problems with that. but are these same processes going on on a much more subtle nature? And, of course, that's where it comes to the idea of a strong delusion. Do Are we under a strong delusion? Is our religious faith, do we really believe in God or do we believe in an image of God that is created in our minds by this religion or that religion or this religious group or that philosophy or even of our own doing? Have we created an image of Christ, an image of God, an image of uh, Allah, uh an image of Yahweh that is not really Yahweh, but is only an image of Yahweh as in our minds. And we talked this morning about this idea of the existing one. God is who he is. And to say, I believe in God, uh, is fine. But you have to be careful that you do not define God. You cannot put God in a bottle. You cannot say, God is this or God is that. Without doing injustice to God because you're trying to define an infinite creature or an infinite entity or an infinite uh, being with finite language. And it will always fall short by the very nature of the idea. It will always fall short. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. For what cause? Well, you'd have to go back and read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verses one to ten, <laughs> and maybe even have to go back and read chapter two, and maybe even First Thessalonians, and just keep following it back until you actually understand what the Bible is all about. Because the kingdom of God is about and for the living. It is. A system that does not operate by force, but operates by love. And so what is this strong delusion that is going to come that is caused by God because of some choice that we make? What lie do people believe is true, but is not? And why does God cause it to be sent to the people? So, you can look that up. You can ponder that and think about that. But that's what we're saying is that there is a delusion. And it's not just the people that are the walking dead. And, you know, that's one of the things. I guess there's a series called the walking dead. And from what I understand, the walking dead is not necessarily the people that are all dead and have this disease and they're zombies. But it's the people trying to stay alive and are willing to kill one another are willing to sacrifice one another so that they can live. Are they not the walking dead? The selfish are the walking dead because it is unselfishness that gives life. And we talked about that in previous shows and shows this morning about the fact that there are not seven vices, but one. There are not seven virtues, but one. That one virtue of self-sacrifice is what we Categorized and itemized with seven virtues. But they're all the same common denominator. But today we have millions, or at least thousands of religions, millions of people who believe in religions of a variety of forms. And uh, are they under a strong delusion? Are they fooling themselves for some sort of psychological or social comfort? Are they addicted to their faith? Or do they actually believe? And if they believe, do they actually believe in the real God? And how do you know by their works, by what they do? Do we have an itemized list? Well, obviously, we have the Ten Commandments and things like that. If you keep my commandments, you know, I will love you. But that actually is what he says is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're having trouble keeping those commandments, if you're out there coveting your neighbor's goods or fornicating or committing adultery and not honoring your promises and lying to your wife or your husband, well, hey, you have need of repentance. You have a need of having your mind changed. And the problem is is you are not self-creating so you cannot change your mind to what you want it to be. You have to allow it to be changed. That's a humble position. That's not a position of pride. Second Peter 2.18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. Who, who lives in error? People who live by the blood of one another, biting one another, taking from one another, live by force instead of by love. They are the ones who live in error. Yet today, modern Christianity, what is posing as modern Christianity, most of the charity that is taking place, most of the care that is taking place amongst those Christians is done by men who exercise authority one over the other through what is called covetous practices. And those covetous practices, according to Peter, will make us merchandise and curse our children. Because we have this wantonness and we desire these benefits, which are called the wages of sin. And we will be entangled again in the yoke of a bondage. So what has happened is that we have become the walking dead and we are dry bones. And uh, God is not in us. And that's why we're having the problems. You know, I could go out and try to change the governments of the world and all the conspirators and the the bad guys, so to speak, but that really isn't going to solve the problem because the problem is us. We have to allow ourselves to be changed by repenting, thinking a different way. Our fine churches and our buildings and our songs that we sing and the praises that we supposedly give God, but do not do the will of the Father. People tell me, that you have to believe that Jesus is God. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you can't be saved. Well, Satan believes that Jesus is God. Jesus, Satan knows who Jesus is. The distinction is not whether or not you believe that Jesus is God. It's whether or not you're doing His will. That's what he says. My brethren, is he who does the will of the Father. He says that. Now you can go and misinterpret Paul, but you're not going to get the right answer. You're not going to get the right solution. You're not going to find the right path. So the question is, okay, you're dried bones. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. You're, you're, you're worse than you were back in Egypt. In Egypt, you only had to give twenty percent of what you had to the pharaoh and it empowered the pharaoh and he waged war and he made people run before his chariots. But now. You're in such a bondage, and millions of children are aborted every year, and that those abortions are supported through taxation, through the dollars and sweat and toil of the people. There are armies that go abroad and yeah sometimes they seem to stop the enemy, but we can show time and time again how these same. Uh, wars that begin and take the blood of our children as we make our children run before our chariots and our our tanks and our jeeps could have been avoided and are often the result of people who conspire to make war because there's profit to be made in war. And we can go through all that list, but we aren't going to get to the solution because that's what we're talking about this morning. We were talking about this narcissism the people that are diagnosed, according to this manual, as narcissistic, are just the, the tip of the iceberg. They are the extreme cases. But are we a part of the not-so-extreme cases? Extreme in relationship to the character of God, but not extreme in relationship to the extreme cases we see today. Is there a solution? Can these dry bones live again? And that's what Ezekiel's prophecy. You can go to our article on dry bones at Preparing You or uh go read Ezekiel thirty seven one. But we tell you a lot about what the words actually mean. We show you the words in Hebrew, the the code uh that we find in the Hebrew letters, and uh you can figure it out for yourself. But we're we're sharing this on the internet for free, but it's just Um, it's all from the tree of knowledge. You want that living spirit to breathe into you and give you life. And the light to awaken you so that you can see the contrast. And I think there is an awakening starting to take place in the country. I see evidence of that. But by the same token, I hear the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the... uh, Armies of evil mustering their forces because there will be a short time in which you can make choices. So the more choices that people make towards righteousness, the more they walk towards the path of righteousness and try to and seek to and strive to live by the perfect law of liberty rather than by the covetous practices that have made them merchandise the more they begin to go that way, the better they are prepared and the better they are prepared to pass on that righteousness to their children. Because that's ultimately what we have to realize. It's not about our survival. Christ did not come that he might be saved, but that you might be saved. And you have to gather, if you're going to gather in the name of Christ, you have to gather in hopes that others might be saved and not just you. So we talked about the uh, these uh, different characteristics of someone who is narcissistic that are going to meet that diagnostic qualification of narcissism and we talked about the symptoms of this which are multiple and are also found in other diagnosed delusions but the question is are they found also in us. And we go down the same, you know, rather than just go down this list of, you know, bullying and uh, needing to win and lying to benefit ourselves or our reputation, egotistical view, extraordinary self-worth that may not actually be there. uh, Getting one's own needs met and sometimes at the expense of others. That is so common today. And it's common amongst millions upon millions of people that would not be diagnosed as narcissistic. But yet, it is habitual. And they justify it in their mind that it's okay to live at the expense of others. Yet, historians of historians were telling us centuries before Christ that this is what was going to bring the downfall of Rome. Is the fact that it would alter the people and make them fit subjects to the first tyrant that comes along. And millions and millions died But there are far more people upon the face of the earth, and we see the same processes taking place today. So, what can we do? We cannot turn the tide of other men, but we can choose what part of history we wish to go down the path of. And so, I just as the end of the show came, I came to the list of things that I kind of put together. It's not a list of my own invention. Although I emphasize certain things that are in these lists. There's a variety of lists of what you can do to thwart this process of moving towards this delusion of narcissism. And it begins when children are young. But before we give you that list, let me say this. Almost all these delusions, from schizophrenia to to, uh, bipolarism, almost all of them result from trauma. And one of the most devastating traumas is emotional trauma. There can be other traumas. You know, you can have a bad acid trip. You can take methamphetamines. You can uh, you can have uh, emotion. Couple that with emotional injuries. Father deserts you. A mother deserts you. Uh, your boyfriend deserts you. Your girlfriend betrays you. All these can cause emotional trauma. That you might not get over. So what is the key to getting over that? It is forgiveness. That is that is one of the keys. Judge not, lest ye be judged. If you judge not, which is not so easy to do, but if you judge not, you're not sucked into the vortex of this spiraling cycle of taking you down. You can be taken up. Forgiveness is the power. One of the the critical messages in uh, uh, a movie by Keona Reeves, uh, Constantine, is that forgiveness, although I'll have to say this is a Hollywood presented message, but the reality is it's true. The power of forgiveness is the power to overcome the power of darkness because it lets the light in. So anyway, with that in mind, what are some of the psychologists' lists of things that you can do to thwart off this uh, thing we call narcissism, which is just one of many delusions, all of which have a common denominator. One of the things they say, teach empathy. Well, that sounds good. How do you teach empathy? How, how do you teach that? Well, isn't the best teacher example? Uh, if, if you and your spouse are empathetic towards your children, towards, uh, I had a small boy tell me, uh, my dad thinks people suck, but I don't think so. This is really a small boy, small boy. I thought it was very profound. I don't think so. <laughs> so, and, and I, I've known them both for a long time uh obviously the little boy I haven't known as long, because he hasn't been around as long, but uh the idea that uh people suck is the result of the fact that people do suck, uh, but the fact that you say it is the fact that you haven't necessarily forgiven them entirely, at least the way in which you say it uh, may be a sign that you have not forgiven them. And the the it's very easy to say oh yeah i forgive them and then you know on your deathbed you know, all i hear coming out of a lot of people is complaints about other people that have betrayed them during their life that they supposedly forgave well they just avoided looking at their unforgiveness that doesn't make unforgiveness go away uh forgive and forget don't just forget because you don't forget it's it, you cannot forget a scar out of existence, but forgiveness can regenerate. And fasting from judgment, fasting from judgment. And one of the things that scientists are now discovering is that fasting can cause these uh, primal cells in your body that everybody's looking for. You know these these cells that can become almost anything that are a part of healing. That. Fasting can stimulate them to become alive again and to regenerate them and bring about recovery. But in the case of the damage of unforgiveness and judgment, the damage of judgment, it is that you must fast from judgment, not judge. See that you want to judge and let it go. And this is one of the reasons why you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I made reference to this in the earlier show over and over again. But you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, not because it will be more comfortable, but will bring you face to face with your judgment and your desire to judge others. That's why it's so hard to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's why it's so easy to find a reason not to show up, not to be there for others is because it's secretly uncomfortable for you to be around those. And as they begin to let the light in their own heart, it's going to become more uncomfortable for you unless you're willing to let the light into your heart. And when you let that light into your heart, you begin to see that you're not quite as empathetic as you thought you were. Bless your heart. (laughs) That's a a southern expression. I grew up in the South. And, uh, you know, I I chuckle when I hear people say, bless their heart, because it usually appears in the conversation right after they just gossiped and defamed somebody. <laughs> bless their heart. But anyway, uh value, character, traits, like honesty and kindness over being tough and dominant. Again, how do we do that? How do we express that value of character traits like honesty and kindness, generosity, and and forgiveness? Forgiveness is the ultimate charity. Because we use judgment to bolster our own ego. And forgiveness doesn't allow us to do that. So you can't fake these things. To value character, well write that down. Remember, you know, put it on your grocery list. Value character traits like honesty and kindness. You have to actually value them. You cannot be a hypocrite. That's why homeschooling is such a wonderful thing because it, it forces you to deal with your own past. Because you will find yourself, and I've done shows about my fourth grade teacher, it will, you will find yourself emulating the injustices that were done to you to your own children but now you have this empathetic point of compassion because they are your children and in order to raise them right you have to forgive your teachers and those abusers of your past now i was not heavily abused as a child my parents were pretty good Uh, I remember when my father did maybe lose his temper and come back and apologize. This this is how he gave me values, awakened in me values. There's no guarantee because ultimately it's your father in heaven that you have to be willing to listen, which is why I posted, it isn't so much freedom of speech and allowing people to say what they want that will save you. It's the freedom to listen. Because you have to be willing to listen to others. Even people who don't know what they're talking about. Because if you listen with compassion and empathy they will become aware of the fact that they don't know what they're talking about. They will either leave you alone or they will wake up. (laughs) It's one or the other. And because if you hear them if you hear their foolishness without your judgment they will hear their foolishness foolishness, without hiding behind their own pride. They won't have a place to hide. When you awaken and are become a light in the room, others will either have to accept what they see or they will go away from you. This is why when they came out to listen to John the Baptist, they stood far off because they could not get too close. Okay, number three, change in entitled attitudes. Stop entitled actions. Okay, what does that mean, entitled? See, it's welfare. You say, oh, I don't take welfare. Do you send your kids to public school? Do you take care of your parents? Uh, Are you the welfare of your congregations, of your church? Your church, 90% of the people in the modern Christian church... Get most of their care and assistance from government people who exercise authority one over another. Who take away from their your neighbor to provide you with benefits. And take away from your children because they're borrowing money to provide you benefits today. Including free school, free health care, all these things. It's all about... Me. Take away. Take away. This is why you have so many rich people that are advocating socialism. They don't want to support the poor. They want to force other people to support the poor. That's, you know, that's the way they operate. You know, Christ was rich. He came from a rich family, one of the richest families in Judea. One of the, he had uncles who were one of the richest men in the world. But he made himself poor to walk this other walk. And unless you walk that walk, you're not walking the walk of Christ. And that that's what he says. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, do it my way. They knew what he meant. They knew he had been rich and he made himself poor. It's one of the reasons he gathered such big crowds. But modern preachers, you know, what was it, Everybody wanted to see Trump's... Um, Taxes, and so uh, uh, I saw a meme where somebody said, uh, "I'm not so interested in the rich man who became a politician, but the politician who became a rich man." <laughs> they wanted to see their taxes, but uh, you know, I just I just thought that was an interesting point of view. But the reality is that that's show me the rich minister who made himself poor, and I'll show you somebody who may be closer to Christ than what we see out there preaching. Those are ear ticklers, making you feel good about your strong delusion. Squelch greed. Say, you're acting selfish and that's not okay. Well, obviously, in spirit, we should not approve of selfishness, but it's not a matter of just saying it. It's like, you know, I was around guys for, for years that evidently they were fond of dirty jokes and off color jokes and, and they would cuss and then swear. And I had people come to me and say, you know, when I'm around you, I never cuss and swear. Now you have to remember I wasn't a preacher then. I was just a carpenter and a handyman and I, you know, pouring cement and pounding nails and be with a whole crew of guys and nobody wants to cuss around me. Why is that? Because not because I judged them, not because I went around and tell people, oh, you shouldn't talk that way, although you shouldn't. (laughs) For your own sake, I say that. But because they were conscious. It it bothered them. I had the same trouble, uh, not trouble, it wasn't trouble to me, but I gave the same trouble, not even knowing it, to young girls where I worked. There was a lot of young girls where I worked at one time before I met my wife, or actually it's where I met my wife. Uh, and a lot of them, in those days, were wearing short skirts, and they became self-conscious, where they didn't you know they went out and bought pants and stuff. They told me later that they did this because I made them feel so self-conscious. That's a good thing. I wasn't doing it. Well, you know, I did say something to one young lady, <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, what it is is that if you just light a candle in your own life, give up judgment. Give up anger. Give up resentment. Give up your own pride. And be willing to sacrifice yourself for others. And being a husband and being a wife and being a father and being a mother and being a friend takes sacrifice. To be a brother to all men takes sacrifice. And if you do it willingly, I can't tell you, you know, if you're sacrificed this much, then you're going to get back, you know, uh, I heard somebody say, just today, don't judge wealth by money. And uh that's true. And so you don't judge your success by financial gain. Nothing wrong with financial gain, but a gospel, a prosperity gospel is not about money. Prosperity, I mean, a true prosperity gospel, not the phony prosperity gospel where people are dangling riches like a carrot. If you just give to this preacher, then God will give to you. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, no. No. It's uh, it's about uh, giving of yourself, laying down your life for your fellow man. For Christ's sake not just for your fellow man's sake, not for his appreciation, but for Christ's sake. So what does that look like? That you lay down your life for your fellow man. Well, it's charity that strengthens the poor, does not weaken the poor. And so that brings us to another thing. Insist they put other people first routinely. Let's put it in another way. Putting other people first religiously. What is religion? Religion is how you take care of the needy of society. If you gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and begin the process of learning what it means to be the entire social welfare of a network of people who are supposedly seeking to care about their neighbor as much as themselves and you begin to wean yourself off of public education, public assistance, etc., 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 then you will begin to routinely be taking action to take care of others. Remember, the actions speak louder than words. Narcissists often say they are doing something to benefit others when they are really doing it for themselves. Is that not what Jesus was talking about for the Pharisee? who gives openly in public so he gets the prestige. It's not just that, but certainly that's a a prime example of when you're giving to receive adoration from others, the emotional support of others, the favor of others, the vote of others. That's Politicians are always giving away this program or that program in order to get the votes of the people. And the people just turn an absolute blind eye that those politicians are not giving away their money. They're giving away the money they took from your neighbor. But they've become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending on men who exercise authority for their livelihood. And they don't think anything of it. No, no, we have to turn around a lot more than we're turning around. (coughs) We have to repent a lot more. There's a lot to repent of. So another thing that they list is uh to build health a healthy self esteem. But before we do that, we should actually take a break and uh we'll because that's what they require me to do <laughs> on the station and uh we'll be right back after this brief break. So welcome back. So when you gather together in congregation, should you look like a regular church? Should you do the things that regular church does? Is it about making you feel better as a Christian or making you feel more like a Christian or making you feel religious or making you feel that God loves you? What if you get in with a group and they always wanna talk about survival? Survivalism, you know, uh, you know, surviving the apocalypse to come. Well, nothing necessarily wrong is in that in it with that in a conversation, but is that why you've gathered? So that you can survive? No. Uh, or what do they always get together and talk about the Constitution or about uh, criminal government or, or politics? If that is the critical part of their discussion, how are you being like the kingdom? How are you seeking the kingdom by talking about that all the time? And the fact is, many of the people talk about these things all the time They are obsessed with it. They are addicted to it. They can't help themselves. You can help them. By becoming aware and loving them back. Not sitting there and moaning over Like all they want to do is talk about this. And you talk about that on the way home all the time. No. This is a real metaphysical, spiritual journey. You have to allow the light to be turned up in you. And when you do that, you will see you clear. If, if the light that is going on in you is not allowing you to see you clearer, it ain't the real light. <laughs> it isn't the real love. And that's another thing is how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Again, we talked about it this morning. You don't love anybody more than the person you love the least. You can be affectionate for people more. Than this person more than that person, you can feel ties to that person more than this person, but real love is a utility it's it's that light you turn you light that candle is it only for certain corners of the room <laughs> that you want the light to go into? Well, I guess you can put it in you know like we used to put candles in a a can and then cut the can. Open on one side so that it had this reflective surface, and then you could kind of use it like a spotlight, shine around, and and it was less likely to blow out if there was a draft. But uh, the reality is, if you're putting a candle on a lampstand, that light is going in every direction equally, and that's that's the light you want, the light of the Lord, that shines out and that shines on the just and the unjust equally. That's the real love of Christ. And it drives out demons. And it makes the the uh, sick and the lame uh, well and walk again. It brings life where there was death. And so that's the love you really want to manifest. Not the touchy-feely love. Not that there's something wrong with the touchy-feely love. But that is not the love that is a utility. So... When I talk about building health, healthy self-esteem, which is actually one of those things listed off by psychologists, low self-esteem can also lead to entitlement and using others to support one's ego because you have this low self-esteem. You don't go to the congregation. You don't gather in the congregation of tens or hundreds or thousands in order to get something from them. You have to gather with the intent of giving, of shining, you know. Now, now that could be a dangerous thing too, depending on how you interpret that. I can hear people interpreting this right now. That they think they have so much knowledge to give, so much wisdom to impart, that they will come... So that people will hear them and listen to them and follow them and bow to their knowledge because they have taken pride in their knowledge. Paul did not take pride in his knowledge, at least not by the time he became Apostle Paul. He said, all that I learned is trash. All that, I can tell you that all I learned can be taken away with a single stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be gone but would i my soul be gone would my spirit be gone is that going to be affected by the uh, the stroke don't allow false blame of other people for one's own problems and failure uh and uh, that that's actually we kind of covered that but you don't want to be blaming others if my husband was only a better man, if my wife was only a better woman, if my kids would only listen to me. No. Take the blame. Carry the burden. You know, I've talked talk stories about that when I, my kids wanted to say no to somebody about going somewhere. And I detected that in their questioning. And I asked them about it and they said, well, they didn't really want to go, but they keep asking them and everything. And I says, well, you just tell them that I said you can't go. And that took the pressure off of them. And I actually had the parents of the, or at least one of the parents of those kids, come over and try to scold me for being so oppressive to my children. <laughs> and I just took it. I just let them say it. But my kids knew that, you know, that dad said we couldn't go because he knew we didn't want to go. And now he's taking the blame. <laughs> and yet it wasn't his fault. That That's going to teach him more. That's going to... If you care for what... There is no substitute for love. And there is no love without sacrifice. That's why the same word that Christ uses that we see translated love all the time, when Paul uses it, most of the time they translated charity. Because what is charity? Charity is sacrifice. If you do not... People say they've done away with the sacrifice. (laughs) What sacrifice? You don't have to do charity anymore? No, no. Jesus has done it all. We don't have to be charitable anymore. We can go to the men who exercise authority and they will take care of our needs. (laughs) Even though we know that the men who exercise authority are actually taking from our neighbors and putting our children farther and farther in debt, that's okay because Jesus has saved us. Now, Jesus came that you might be saved, but you're not talking like somebody who knows Jesus. You may know a Jesus, but that's not the Jesus that I know. He never said that sacrifice is done away with. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was done away with, but the facts, sacrifice of the Pharisees was taxation. The korban of the Pharisees was a part of a taxation system by that time. It was no longer a free will offering. It was a compelled offering for all those who had signed up with the temple. And the same thing was going on in Rome. Rome used to operate by charity. The Senate couldn't pass laws. They weren't lawmakers originally. They were the Senate. Senate meant old men. They would get together and they would help the, all the communities get together because they were a common council, but they weren't making new laws. They, they weren't passing out dole that was uh, provided by taking from others. That came along uh, as they began to move towards Caesar's and despotism. I mean, Rome was around for 500 years before the first Caesar. And it rose to greatness through its charity. And so anyway, uh some of the other things I was going to talk to you about. And uh you know, just to give you an example Matthew 9:17, and he said unto him, "Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one." And that we talked about that this morning, that and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Because, and what is keeping the commandments? That's seeking righteousness. If you're violating the Ten Commandments, you're not seeking righteousness. That's evidence that you're not seeking the righteousness of God. Because you're violating the Ten Commandments. Now, you may need some explanation as to what the Ten Commandments is actually saying. Because you're saying, well, no, you guys don't keep the Sabbath. You're on Sunday, and that's not keeping the Sabbath. No, no. If you're, if you're keeping Saturday, that's not keeping the Sabbath either. <laughs> to keep the Sabbath holy, you have to earn your rest. Work first, then take your rest. And you should take it on the seventh day. But it is not some magical, if you're unmooring the metaphor from, because the Sabbath is about debt, about staying out of debt. Well, the modern Christians have not stayed out of debt they have not avoided debt they've gone greatly into debt now i'm not saying there's no time where you couldn't ever borrow money because you may need help you may need to borrow but who do you borrow from how how do you operate in modern day banking i mean we're so far away from the kingdom that how do you get back so yeah none of us are good but god so we're seeking that and one of the ways to seek that is to keep keep the commandments and that would include not coveting your neighbor's goods, even through the agency of men who, ex- especially through the agency of men who exercise authority. In Mark 7, 9, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. The same word traditions, there could be doctrines, it could be statutes. Uh, that's That's what they're doing. They make up their own rules. And uh, they they bind the people to those rules by offering them benefits that are a snare and a trap. What should have been for their welfare was a snare and a trap. That's what the Bible says. And that's what the and, and Paul quotes David uh about that. But Christianity was offering freely receive, freely give, freely give, freely, give, freely receive. They're offering a network system of faith, hope, and charity. And I have people actually say, oh, tithing is only animal products and we don't produce any animal products so we don't have to tithe. But they're going to find themselves in the greatest of needs. They're under the strong delusion. They're making it up. It's about loving one another. It's like saying we don't have to love because we don't, you only love with animal products. You know, like what are you talking about? We don't have to... Have free will offerings. We don't have to sacrifice. You're you're taking you're taking and splitting. You know you're swallowing a camel. <laughs> you know you're straining at gnats and swallowing a camel. So anyway, uh, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. And fourteen twenty one. He goes on to say, He that hath hath my commandments and keepeth them. He is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by, or loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself in him. So, John fifteen ten. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So, So much for the guys to say you don't have to keep the commandments that they're done away with. No, the statutes of Moses, not even the statutes of Moses are done away with. It's really the interpretation of the Pharisees who are sitting in the seat of Moses. Those statutes are done away with. So I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. You know, we we talked about the New Deal. Uh, I talked about this book by Paul Rahe. It's Paul Anthony Rahe. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. R-A-H-E. Who's an historian and writer and professor of history at Hillsdale College. Not too bad of a college if your kids have to go to a college. Although, go back to homeschooling, home, college, all those things are really a good deal. But, uh, because Hillsdale College doesn't really understand everything either. But, uh, they're not so far off as you'll find in a lot of other colleges. But, anyway there's this soft despotism that democracy adrift and americans may either continue down the road they're on declining toward a european style heavily regulated secularized nation and one where marriage and children are marginalized or they may take a different path and of course that real path that they need to take is the kingdom of god and uh, rediscover and then restore a commitment to the foundational principles, core institution, and especially the family. And the basic habits of self-government that might slow the drift. And perhaps even reverse the course so that Americans might renew their future. Well, I don't know that there is a salvation for the United States. But I know there is a salvation for you if you will repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Theodore Roosevelt was a progressive. Woodrow Wilson was a progressive and a racist. FDR was a racist, a New Deal guy. Certainly LBJ and the Great Society, he was a racist. And they actually, by talking about bringing the people together in these programs, they were actually dividing the people and destroying them and making them weak again. To destroy this invisible government, to dissolve the unholy alliance between uh, corrupt business and corrupt politics is the first task of the statesman of the day. This country belongs to the people, or at least it did. I'm quoting here. Its resources, its businesses, its laws, its institutions should be utilized, maintained, or altered in whatever manner will best promote the general Interests managed economy. This assertion is explicit. Who's saying this? Mr. Wilson must know that every monopoly in the United States opposes the Progressive Party. Guess who said that? Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, uh. Uh, talking about creating these antitrust uh, bills and stuff like that. Woodrow Wilson, he he had his new freedom, which is not like FDR's New Deal, but it really was. It was domestic agenda. Uh, He passed the Revenue Act of 1913, implemented the Federal Reserve Tax, uh, Federal Estate Tax, um, and uh, raised the, the top income tax to 77%. But it was FDR who brought in Social Security that made all your wages subject to income tax. Remember, in 1933, if you made ten thousand dollars in a given year, you made more than the value of three homes. That's right. You could buy three homes, three complete homes, furnished, for ten thousand uh, dollars or more. You could buy, you know, huge farms and ranches for ten thousand dollars. And if you made $10,000, you didn't own an income tax. Income tax was for the rich. And even though the income tax got up to that 77%, nobody ever paid that. If you were smart enough to make that kind of money that they're talking about being taxed, you would not pay the full amount. There would be ways to put your money in, which is one of the reasons why they were creating you know, these different trusts and why the Federal Trade Commission Act and the Clayton Antitrust Act and all these other uh, and World War One was created is to distract you so that the rich could get richer and the poor get poorer under the guise of taking from the rich. Not going to happen. But what the real harm came is because of the fact that you began to think that it's okay to take from the rich to provide for the needs of the people. It's It's the antithesis of the kingdom of God. You're going the absolute opposite way. So all those programs, yeah, they're, they were bad. They were counterproductive. But all you have to do is repent and turn around and go the other way. And the way to do that is to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking back your responsibilities, not only as an individual like uh, Jordan Peterson says, but as communities taking care of one another. And that's what Torqueville was talking about is that he was absolutely astounded how the American communities through free association were taking care of one another and setting up prisons. He went around to all kinds of different prisons, interviewed all kinds of prisoners. He was just astounded. Of course, he was also astounded by how early Americans got up and ate breakfast. (laughs) That was was one of the things he was so astounded, like they eat breakfast so early. Well, he was a rich guy. He could afford to stay up late with candles. (laughs) Americans had been poor enough that they appreciated their wealth still because their wealth grew so rapidly. They could still remember when they were poor and when they had to work hard and they had this work ethic. But it was the liberty of, of not coveting your neighbor's goods that made America great. We've gone away from that. Madison said, and this is probably the last I can give to you, well aware That the opinions and beliefs of men depend not on their own will, but follow the involuntary, the evidence proposed to their minds, that Almighty God hath created the mind free, and manifested His supreme will that free it shall remain, by making it altogether insusceptible. Of restraint. And, and he goes on from there, but we, uh, and this is the opening words, uh, of a statute by Jefferson, uh, that he was talking about the hypocrisy and meanness, uh, of habits. And Americans did not have that, uh, generally speaking. So, how do you change the habits of the people? Which is where we started talking about uh, habitual empathy in order to overcome the narcissism uh, trends of the the U.S. and of the world today. But those are the extremes. You don't want any nose of the camel in your tent. You want to be going the other way entirely. Not just slow down your descent, but turn around and go the other way. And so, you can't make other people not, you know, be what they should be or not be what they should not be. But you can do something about you. And if you gather together with the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ will begin to alter and change you. And begin to alter and change the way in which you see one another. Because it will give you the eyes of Christ and the ears of Christ. It says, unless you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will not. So, how do you get eyes to see and ears to hear? And I've said this so many times. You have to hear others. You And yeah, they're going to run off and say things they shouldn't say. And they're going to think things that they shouldn't think. And they're going to follow conversations they probably shouldn't follow or don't need to follow and it will be motivated out of vanity but just as the guy who discovered he was meditating for the wrong reason you're going to have the opportunity of discovering that you're not all gathering for the right reason but in that moment you can forgive one another be there for one another Listen to one another. Listen not only to what people are trying to present, but what they're actually presenting. I don't mean to quietly judge people in your own mind, but actually quietly start caring about one another enough so that you're not judging one another in your own minds or in your own words or in your own ways. But until then, peace on your house and see you on the network. God bless.